Welcome to episode number 79 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and entries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about three more challenges in bag host maintenance. And to do that, we have on Kevin Cardwell, Operations Manager for Air Dusco Engineering and Design Services, based out of Memphis, Tennessee. Kevin has over 20 years' experience with Air Dusco. Um, he's a certified fire and explosion investigator. He's also a certified fire and protection specialist. So, Kevin, I want to say a big thank you for coming on the podcast and talking through this topic of bag house maintenance and also design and challenges with that um, in the system. So thank you for coming on. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Um, I'm happy to be here. So Kevin reached out after attending the 2020 Digital Dust Safety Conference that we had back in February 2020. Um, he mentioned that he really enjoyed it, uh, that he learned a, a great deal. And I think the, the quote that I pulled here was an all-star panel. So we were we were happy to hear that and happy to hear that uh, that he enjoyed the the event. Um, he did mention that dust collection or baghouse maintenance design was a topic that was covered, but he also had some additional things that he wanted to talk about. Um, that spawned bringing him on for the podcast. So there's a couple of things here. One, you know, this is an often overlooked area in our industry is uh, both the proper design of baghouse systems, but then maintenance that goes on afterwards. And we actually had a similar topic covered back in episode 18 with Diane Cave where she covered the top five mistakes companies make in their dust collection system design. Well, that was over a year ago. So we really want to get Kevin on to talk through, you know, dust collectors, backhouses, and the challenges he's seeing, and more importantly, the solutions that he's seeing through his uh, over two decades experience in this area now. So Kevin, maybe a, a great place to jump in is just, can you tell us about your background in industries handling combustible dust and then your your current role with Airdusco? Uh, yes, sir. I've been in the industry now for almost 30 years. I've been a system designer, a test lab manager, a project engineer designing these systems. Uh, but the one thing that I've seen neglected over the years is, is bag house maintenance. As part of my role with Theradusco right now, what I do is, is I do the scheduling for our, uh, for our bag house specialist. And I've learned a lot from him. He's been in the, uh, he's been doing maintenance his entire career and has specialized in bag houses for 20 years now. I've learned a lot from listening to him work with the customers and simplifying their their maintenance requirements for their back houses. But the other thing that I've learned is that it doesn't matter how well designed your your dust collection system is. It can be the best dust collection system design ever, but if you don't maintain it in very short order, you're not going to have a working dust collection system. And that's why I wanted to to talk about that a little bit today, talk about some of the challenges that people are seeing in Backhouse maintenance, and then some of the solutions for that. Yeah, I think it's a, a critical topic because we see from incidents that happen a lot of the time, a large percentage of them can be contributed to lack of a, a maintenance program or having a maintenance program, but lack of actually implementing it at the end of the day. Um, and dust collection systems are certainly a big part of this. So the the kind of framework and the format that we we gave Kevin for this interview is just to go through what are the three the three challenges that he sees in this area and to talk about the solutions. So I think we'll, we'll jump right in. What is the, the, the first challenge that you want to talk about today? The, the biggest challenge that I've seen is a, is, it's training, but it's more than that. There seems to be a, a big problem in the industry anymore with knowledge loss. Uh, you'll have people that have been uh, maintaining a, the same backhouse system for 10 or 15 years, but they're getting ready to retire Sometimes they're not replaced or they're replaced with an outside company. And other times 
they are replaced, but they don't have time to, to train their, um, their replacements as well. What we're seeing is a lot of knowledge about how this system is supposed to operate gets lost. That's not the fault of anyone particularly, but the bag house system and the, the dust collection system in general is usually not the priority. The production equipment is always the priority for maintenance people because that's where they make their money. Uh, that's where the company makes their money. And even though that the dust collection system, especially if you're dealing with combustible dust, is a vital part of the dust explosion fire mitigation plan, they just don't get the same uh, attention that um, that the other systems get. So with the, uh, with the training, if you see that you're having either a new group of people uh, doing your maintenance, or in some cases, a lot of companies now are outsourcing their maintenance to people that are great with general maintenance. They specialize in the production equipment, but they don't really know the dust collection as well as they should. That is one of the issues that I've seen. And I'll get to, to some of the solutions here in a little bit. Yeah. And maybe do you have any examples of, and maybe this will go more into the, your solutions, but examples of training and, and knowledge gaps when you went into a facility, what kind of things might they not be aware of anymore? Here, here's something. What I always tell people, and I learned this uh, from our uh from our uh, bag house specialist also. Uh, his name is Chris Fuller, by the way. If, if you think about a dust collection system, the, the bag house it is the lungs of that system. If your lungs are clogged up, you're not breathing. If the filters are clogged, the system isn't breathing. And I've got a good example of that. Uh, on a pneumatic conveying system, uh, transferring to a filter receiver, which is basically a bag house. A uh, customer was having problems with the line clogging right close to the uh, to the inlet point where an airlock was dropping into that system. And they'd taken it apart a dozen times and cleaned it out. And they were convinced that their airlock was feeding too much. When we went out there, we took a look at the filter receiver, found out that someone had left the door open on the top of that at some point. The filters had got wet. The filters were completely clogged. There was no place for the air to go. And instead of they were feeding the right amount into the system, but there was no place for the air to go. They weren't thinking about the way that that system operated. Their training had fallen down in teaching them how that system had operated. And so they were looking in the wrong place to find a solution. And we were able to help them with that. Well, it makes sense, right? If you just come in and you've never had a, a, a correctly or a well-functioning dust collection system, you may not really know any better and, and, um, you may not think to to check and see how plugged the the filters are, or if they've been uh, you know received damage or moisture or that. So you know understanding, and this is probably where the training comes in. Understanding what is the system supposed to do, and what does correct operation look like is probably a critical part. Do you do you see that when you're going in? One hundred percent. As I said before, people don't really understand the dust collection system and what it's supposed to do and how it's supposed to run. When you get a new dust collection system design and everything in, the people may be trained on, okay, this is how it works. Uh, these are the operating parameters, but you move five years, 10 years down the line and all that information is on a shelf somewhere in somebody's office, but nobody's looked at it in five or 10 years. So if, 
if the training isn't constant and you don't keep that stuff in front of your people's uh, at the front of their mind, they forget that stuff. And like I said, if you have knowledge loss with people retiring or people going to other jobs or whatever, that information, while it's there at the plant, it gets lost. That makes sense. And what kind of things are you recommending then to people to prevent this at their facilities? What I recommend is once a year, once every couple of years at a minimum, bring an outside company in. Uh, it can be the people that designed your dust collection system. It can be somebody that knows how that dust collection system is supposed to operate and have them work with your uh, with your maintenance people for a week. It doesn't have to be a sit down in a classroom and everybody fall asleep while, while somebody's droning on and reading a PowerPoint. It doesn't have to be like that. Bring them in, have them work with your with your maintenance people on a couple of three on, on all different shifts, and let them show them. Okay, this is how I would do it. This is what I do. Uh, if this happens, this is what you need to take a look at. In my experience, people will learn that so much uh, so much faster and and will retain it better if you're actually working with them on their equipment. Yeah, we had a great just a couple episodes ago with Dr. Chris Bloor in episode 75, he, he had a similar kind of discussion around how to work with uh, maintenance teams on the safety systems, on the other safety systems besides dust collection, but the explosion protection systems on other equipment. And he said, he echoed very, something very similar where he doesn't use the word training when he, when he goes into to work with these people, because they, the, the technical guys and girls, they don't, want to do training they all they probably know more than you know the people that are, that are coming in about their specific equipment so he calls it and i can't remember the exact word i want to say a technical briefing or a, a technical discussion it's really just sitting down and and swapping knowledge back and forth um and he finds that that tact um, and actually like you said going hands-on with their equipment instead of going to a classroom gets a lot more uh effective communication between yourself and the maintenance team or yourself and the production team or in this case, we're talking more of the maintenance, but the, the folks that you're dealing with, is that something you see as well? Absolutely. I know in, in my role here, whether I'm doing a design or whether I'm out in the field trying to fix something, it always works better for me if I already know how that system operates, if I've had my hands on something very similar to it. Most people for, uh, for mechanical things, it's always better to have your hand get your hands in there, get your hands dirty and know this system. And the only way you do that is through experience. Again, uh, usually a training session is done either at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. People are either thinking about what they've got to do once I get out of this room or uh, at the end of their shift, they're thinking, wow, I should have been home three hours ago. But if you're out there working with them and showing them what they need to do, they don't they don't see that as an imposition. They actually see that as a learning experience. That's a really great tip. Any other points on this training aspect? One other thing that I suggest uh, in conjunction with that training, uh, and this doesn't have to be done every year, but if you've had a system that's been installed for a while, it has not been maintained. Another thing that will really help is if you, do a baseline assessment of your system. See where your system is operating now and compare that to its original parameters. If you know where you're at and where you started, then you just 
then you determine what you need to do to get it back to that point. Because a lot of these systems that we'll go in and look at, the equipment is is still in pretty decent shape. Um, the the routing is good and everything else, but the system is not operating correctly. And a lot of times that is because it's been neglected for a while. So if you know where your what your starting point is and know what the original design was, you can get it back to that and then maintain it better. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you see a lot, say, uh, say three or five years in or even 10 years in, do you see a pretty big drift in, in how these things are functioning compared to their, their design specs? In, in larger companies uh, where you have larger uh, maintenance budgets and larger maintenance staff, it's not quite as much of an issue. But just industry-wide, what, what you will see is as maintenance is neglected, the, the, uh, the system performance will decrease. And again, people in, in maintenance and operators or utilities, they know how it's running. They know how it's supposed to run. But if, if they come in and, and they're only getting 50% performance, they think that that 50% performance is the best the system could do because they've never experienced anything else. And again, it's just a matter of getting the system operating properly and being trained on how to how it's supposed to work and how to maintain it and keep it maintained. There are some very, and we'll get into that in here in a little bit, but there are some very simple things that you can do on a daily basis that doesn't take 15 minutes and it will greatly increase your awareness of what's going on in the system. Well, I think that's a, a good place to leave off on the the training aspect. What is the the second challenge that you see that you're dealing with uh, quite a bit in industry? I, I touched on it a little bit before, but again, production is king. The company makes their money on producing the products that they produce. Usually, especially if your maintenance staff is, is has been cut over the last couple of years, they only have time to fight fires. And those fires are more important. And I say that, not literally, obviously. A little tongue-in-cheek, yes. <laughs> yeah. They only have time to fix the things that are causing the biggest problem right now. So they spend all their time working on the production equipment, again, because that's what makes the money, and other systems get neglected until they break down. And if you wait until your dust collection system, uh, whether it's your bags are shot, it hasn't been breathing right for a while if you wait until the bags are completely plugged or wait until a bearing goes out on a fan or anything like that. If your cleaning system isn't operating correctly, but you haven't had time to notice that because you've been busy working on the other things, usually maintenance problems in a dust collection system don't just happen all at once. I can't say that 100% of the time because sometimes there are drastic things that happen. But if you if you track these, most maintenance issues or most breakdowns in a dust collection system had been building up for some time and people just did not have time to get to them. Would a good way to summarize that be more looking at preventative maintenance as opposed to, you know, firefighting or reacting to when something breaks or, or shuts down? Absolutely. And the easiest way to do that is to make it to where at least once a day, somebody is looking at these things, listening to these things, at least paying attention and watching trends. If you can see that you're, for instance, if, if uh, 
you go out and you have one person on each shift take a look at the differential pressure gauge on a bag house. And they see that just about every day that it's in the, it's running right around one and a half inches after it cleans. And then all of a sudden they start seeing, well, it's, it's easing up towards two. If they're recording that, they can actually follow the trend and they know that their bags are becoming impinged and they can then schedule during a downtime when they can go ahead and change those bags. They don't have to wait until they're in the middle of production and all of a sudden the bags are at, you know, the bags have gone from four and a half inches to 10 inches because they're completely impinged and they have to shut down production. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the point of that, right? Is you, if, if you do as a preventative and you, you track that over time, then you can uh, schedule in the, the maintenance that's needed when you have downtime. So it's not, you know, it's not during your, your peak season or your, your peak delivery season or your, your peak manufacturing season. Uh, you can schedule during a, you know, a, a downtime that you already have marked into the calendar. And when you, when you're able to do that, you actually save yourself unexpected downtime. And as you know, any production manager will tell you downtime is extraordinarily expensive when you're not expecting it. Sure. Maybe you can redeploy the team as well to be, to, to have something else to do instead of waiting for their, their equipment to come back. Any other tips on the, you mentioned once per day, check the differential gauges. Um, any, anything else that we should be doing every day or every week for our, our collection systems? Well, actually, there are a few things that I like to have people do. Some Kate, sometimes some of these are just not possible because of, of combustible dust and, and, and different companies' requirements around the dust collection system equipment, main equipment. But what I like to ha have people do is to go out, look at the gauge, listen to the system. If, you're, if you have a pulse jet bag house, as a for instance, Stand out there and listen to it. Listen to the pulsing. Uh, a good pulse jet system, when it pulses, it's a hard hit. It's a pow. Uh, if you hear just basically air leaking or the sound of air swishing as, it's, as that particular row is supposed to fire, you know that you've got an issue with a diaphragm valve, uh, usually uh, a crack in the diaphragm valve because uh, the rubber got hard and it, it it broke. But if you listen to that just once a day, you'll be able to tell if that system is operating properly or not, or at least cleaning properly or not. Wait for it. There, there are a couple other things that you can do too. Uh, and that goes back to the training. What I like to do is I like, and what we recommend to our customers actually is that they designate one person, whether it's one person overall or one person on each shift to be responsible for, you know, a given number of systems where they can just walk through them either as they're going to their, from the parking lot to the shop or from, you know, if they're, if you can even have an operator or utility do it, doesn't matter who does it, but they need to have a small checklist with them that, Hey, uh, check the differential pressure. That's good. Uh, listen to the pulsing. Everything is firing correctly. And I can actually send you a checklist uh, of the things that I like, to have people look at on these. I don't have it in front of me right now, but there are just a few things that they listen to that. They record this again. They can watch the trend. Another thing that isn't actually part of, of what we 
uh, want to talk about as it applies to combustible dust, but it is a big part of maintenance period, is if you have a, uh, a diaphragm valve that is leaking, like I just mentioned, think about how much compressed air that loses. Because if it's just constantly leaking through, you're wasting that compressed air. It's not cleaning, and it takes a lot of horsepower to do that. That directly goes to your, um, to your utility bill. So that's another expensive thing that can happen. Plus you're not cleaning that particular row of filters. So you have premature bag failure and other things. Something just as simple as listening to until you hear the entire cleaning cycle work can save you a lot of money down the line. So you mentioned um, listening and listening for the pulse valves and that they should have a, you know, a, a, a pretty big kind of bang or smack kind of sound more than a slow hiss you know, it should be pretty impactful uh, when that that pulse valve fires. What and you and you mentioned that that's generally the the uh, sealer, the gasket. I'm not sure what the correct name is, but that that might be cracked and leaking. What are some other common issues that people might see when they're going through and doing these preventive maintenance programs? Um, maybe the, the most common things that you see that that require uh, require replacement or need to be looked at. Well, one thing is uh, the other thing I suggest they do while they're doing their walkthrough is look at their cleaning air pressure, whether they have a pulse jet, whether they have a reverse air, whatever you need, you know what that pressure should be. If you can look at a gauge and see, okay, I am, I am pulsing with the correct uh, pressure right now, or I am um, pulsing, but it's, it's, supposed to be 90 PSI and all of a sudden I'm seeing 75 PSI, that can also tell you uh, that something's going wrong there. Uh, As a case in point, I had a customer here a few years ago that had some holes in their manifold for their uh, pulse jets. Uh, They were leaking a lot of compressed air. They couldn't understand. They said, well, we've got 100 PSI elsewhere but we're only seeing 75 PSI. That's all they could build up in their reservoir because they were leaking it out faster than they could put it in. So that type of thing will, will save. And it, this all goes back. You can tie all this back to safety because if you have a bag house that is only that you're cleaning 50% of it, but the other 50% is not being cleaned. You've cut your airflow for that system. You may be laying out dust in the line, which as we all know is not good for combustible dust system because that gives you other places for fires, plus fuel if you have an explosion for for a secondary. But also it creates problems at the pickup points because if you're not cleaning your bag house properly, you're not collecting the dust sufficiently. So you're having issues at your pickup points, your, your production area is full of dust, just simple things like that can prevent those problems. Yeah, that makes sense. And anything else on this kind of, we'll, we'll try to get that checklist from you, include them in the show notes at uh, dustsafetyscience.com slash 79 for the audience that's listening. Um, but anything else that we should be thinking about for routine preventive maintenance for the once a day or, or any other frequency? One other thing that I, uh, and I learned this again, uh, from uh, Chris here at Airdesco, have the guy that's doing the walkthrough carry a paper clip with him, especially if they've got a lot of pulse jets. If he does not have time to stand there and listen to those uh, to those individual pulses, 
depending on how big the dust collector is and how long it takes to get through the cleaning cycle. On the bottom of the solenoid, there's actually a little place where you can trigger that with a paper clip. And you can fire each one of them in sequence and make sure that they're all working. Again, it's simple, but it's, it's a way to make sure that your, the cleaning system for your filter is operating properly. Uh, make sure that they record uh, differential pressures, make sure they record uh, air pressures for the cleaning. Once they walk through that a few times, they're gonna know the way that it should sound and the way that it should be operating and what the pressure should be. And they will notice fairly quickly when something is not correct. Uh, one other thing, I'm sorry, one other thing on, uh, on preventive maintenance, the right pressure is important, but make sure that the air is dry at the, at the point uh, where you're cleaning your filters. You can have the best dryer back in a compressor room somewhere, but sometimes that air goes through three or four different atmospheres before it gets to your bag house. It's inside the plant, it's outside the plant, it's back inside again. By the time that you that, that air gets to the filters, you might be spraying some water onto those filters. And what, wet filters are a very bad thing for dust collection because depending on your material, you can cake material up on that. Water will prematurely uh, impinge, it, uh, impinge the filters. Uh, water can also actually cause premature failure. One thing that we tell people a lot of times to do is to actually put just a little auto dump on their compressed air line just before their uh, air reservoir at the filter, and that will solve that problem for them. It also solves problems of freezing up on your airlines in the wintertime too. But that's, I mean, as far as that particular subject, those are the main things that I, uh, that I think about on those. So that's a really good summary for the preventative maintenance and things people should be doing every day and responsibility and also um, just getting the most out of your system so you don't have that downtime. What's the, the third challenge that you're seeing in bag house maintenance? The, the third challenge that I've ran into a lot is, I, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus here, but going cheap uh, on your replacement parts. Uh, a lot of times uh, for a given system, a specific bag material or design is, is called for that may be more expensive than a common 16 ounce polyester bag. And if you have people making decisions that are not aware of what the original design called for and are buying strictly on price, they will actually put the wrong filter into place or it doesn't just have to be filters. They will buy the wrong part if they're buying solely on price. So what I recommend on that is make sure that if you have a system where specific parts are called for, that you're buying the correct part for your filter. I've, uh, just to give you a quick example of that, I had a customer that had a very sticky material and it was a, pretty decent fire hazard also. But the filters that they had to use for that were very expensive individually. And they were replaced not only by the wrong media, but a tighter, th these were cartridges, by a tighter placement. So the material would get in and almost 
blindly filter within a few hours. What happens is, number one, you take your system offline and also you end up having to buy filters again, or again, I'm using filters as that example, but make sure that you're buying the part that was designated for, for replacement on that. Does that kind of go back to looking at your original documentation a bit and seeing, you know, what, what were the different components spec for and including the bag and I don't know, maybe the, the pulse valves and the other parts of the, the bag host and then making a decision on, on the purchasing. Uh, 100% making sure that, uh, that you are aware or whoever is, is making the decision on what to purchase is aware of what that design was supposed to be is critical. I can give you another example too, that has nothing to do with filters, but fans. In the past, I have seen uh, a fan, and let's say it's uh, a backward curve fan on the backside of a bag house. That fan goes down. Um, it's going to be a fairly long lead time on getting a replacement fan if they didn't have one already on the shelf. And so somebody will say, well, we've got a fan, same size, same horsepower in the maintenance shop or in the, in the boneyard that we can put in here. The problem is that particular fan that they have there is a radial blade fan. If they put the wrong fan into that position, you're not going to get the same airflow at the same static pressure. You're going to have different reaction to when the bags start getting dirty. You're going to have a bigger drop off in airflow replacing a backward curve with radial blade. So again, that, uh, that decision was made to for expedience rather than based on the actual design of the system. So you mentioned a couple of examples there. Um, I assume there's other types of material that could cause, you, you know, the, the bag material to be, um, need to be designed specifically. So you could have sticky material. Um, you could have uh, processed gases that are different. Uh, temperature is another thing. Uh, moisture is another thing. Uh, there are a lot of different bags out there. This is a little bit of a long example, but it, it proves it shows the point. You know, I, I've mentioned uh, Chris Fleur here that, at Airdesco many times. When he was still taking care of bag houses for his previous company, they had three very large filters that had over 1,200 bags each in them. They were having to change those quarterly because of the material that they were dealing with was hot. It was very abrasive, and there were some pretty nasty gases associated with that material. Over a period of about two years, Chris was experimenting with other bags and finally found a bag, even though it was much more expensive than the bags that they were originally using, he found a, a set of bags that instead of having to replace every quarter for these three bag houses, which was costing the company about a quarter million dollars per bag change for the three filters. So a million dollars a year, found a bag that would actually work, do the right job, had the proper filtration, and they went from changing quarterly to changing every five years. So even though the bag was much more expensive, he basically saved them $5 million over that same time period in bag changes. So you can afford, if, if you have the right material and, and the right bag for the application, it will save you money. And, and 
keep you up and operating and keep the system performing properly as opposed to using the wrong bag because it was cheaper. And I was going to ask, do you at Airdesco, do you do testing for companies like that? If they were trying to figure out better materials that might, you know, have longer lifespan, it's like you said, it can have a quite a large financial impact if your bags are wearing out too early. Or is that something that you might work with people to do? We don't do the testing ourselves, but we have a, uh, a partner that does that for us. So we can actually arrange that for a customer. And th- there are a lot of people out there that can do that. But we work with the same people that Chris worked with uh, when he was doing his testing uh, at his former job. And as far as I'm concerned, they're the best in the industry. And, you know, they zeroed in on the right uh, on the right bag for that application. Yeah, I think that's a, some of the value of working with a group like like yours, right? Where if it's just a company, they may not even know really what to ask or who to, to, to go to to get that sort of testing done. And it may not just be a laboratory test. You may need to do a laboratory test and then do an in-field test like Chris was doing and actually see how it's it's working and, you know, provide uh, some some assessment and guidance on that. Uh, so I, I think that's important. That's why it's, it's good to bring on companies to do that sort of work. So we're really talking about changing we're doing replacements and um, not choosing the cheapest part, but doing the doing it with replacement parts that are fitting what we need. Did we get into the solutions that you you have or the recommendations you have on that yet? We we touched on most of the solutions uh, already, that, and I would mind just touching on each of them again to to just go back and recap. I recommend that people have a baseline on a system to make sure to see where you're operating at now and to determine what it would take to get back to original design specs. Schedule maintenance training for your people uh, with somebody that knows that system, whether it's the original designer or someone else that can determine what that system is capable of. You can actually use the baseline to inform you of, of what direction you need to go with your maintenance training. Designate someone to be responsible to walk through those every shift. Uh, to walk through your dust collection system, listen to it, record readings, just get them familiar with that system so they know how it's supposed to operate and they can uh, help you predict when you're going to be able to do big downtime maintenance on them. Make sure that whatever uh, whatever type of cleaning that you have on, on your filters, that you're using clean, dry air to clean them. Again, it can't be stressed enough with most dust how it, how bad moisture is inside of a dust collector. One thing that I didn't touch on that's along those same lines is if most uh, dust collectors with uh, combustible dust will have some sort of a deluge system in them. Make sure that you check that weekly, monthly, pick a point, check that and make sure that that deluge system isn't leaking. Those things can put a lot of water into your backhouse in a very short amount of time. They are 100% critical for fire protection, but you've got to make sure that you're not introducing a problem into your system if you've developed a leak. If your filters do get wet, change them. You can take them out, put a fresh set in, and then if you want to try to dry the filters, do it outside of the baghouse you will spend a whole lot less time chasing problems if you put good dry filters in and solve your moisture problems ahead of time. 
one thing that doesn't really fall into any of these categories, maybe training, but not necessarily. Make sure when you change your filters, you change them all at once. Air will follow the path of least resistance. And a lot of people think that they save money if they change a fourth of their filters now, a fourth of them in six months, a fourth of them again six months after that, and so on. But what's going to happen is you're actually, if you only change some of your filters in your in, uh, in your dust collector, you're causing interstitial velocity problems around the other filters. Because like I said, air is going to go to the path of least resistance. You're going to be pulling more air through fewer filters, which is going to cause rising uh, velocity. You're going to have issues with getting the bags clean. You're going to cause premature failure on those. You're going to change your air to cloth ratio on the filters. All those things are things that you talk about in design, but you don't think about the maintenance aspects of changing those numbers. And make sure that when you replace filters, parts, components, whatever, that they conform to the original design. Those are basically the solutions for those problems. Perfect. Well, that's a great overview of, of some of these challenges that you've seen in your in you know your your extensive career working in these industries and also the solutions. Um, is there any anything else or one last thing you want to leave the the audience off with on this topic before we we close up the interview? If if there was one final thought that I'd like to leave the uh, the audience with, it can take some time, some money, and some effort to maintain a dust collection system, but that time, money, and effort is well spent because it's far more expensive to neglect it, and it's dangerous to neglect it. When you're dealing with combustible dusts, you want to make sure that your main mitigation, which is normally your dust collection system is a big part of your main mitigation of your explosion hazards. You want to make sure that's operating to the best of its ability. Yeah, I agree. It's a, you know, a, a safety critical component to your combustible dust safety strategy. And it's not the only component, but it is a, you know, it is a critical one, especially to avoid a, a primary explosion inside of a piece of equipment. And then having these these large secondary explosions outside of equipment due to, to fugitive dust accumulations. So, yeah, I, I appreciate you having you on. This has been a great interview sharing these challenges that you've seen in baghouse maintenance. And it's, like you said, it's an overlooked area. You design, design the system, you put it in, you run the things for 10, 20, 30 years. But if you're not, if you're not doing some routine maintenance, some preventative maintenance, if you're not doing training, and if you're replacing with, with parts that aren't correct, uh, you're going to end up with a system that doesn't work very well at the end of the day. Um, so I, I think it's critically important to to go through these and share them with the community. Absolutely. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to get this out there. Thanks, Kevin. And I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Thank you, Chris. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and Kevin Cardwell, Operations Manager at Air Dusco Engineering and Design Services, based out of Memphis, Tennessee. We've been talking about three more challenges in baghouse maintenance. So these this is kind of a follow-on from a, a previous episode we did that were the top five mistakes companies making their dust collection system design. This is really covering the the other end. So we have the system, it's in there. You know, what are some some maintenance considerations that we need to be thinking about while operating our system? And we, we talked through three of these. One was around training. The first one was around training and getting the knowledge level high enough that uh, the team can operate the system. So, you know, what is normal? How, how should the system be operating? And we also gave some tips around you know, bringing in outside companies to help, but also working with the the team in the field, not necessarily bringing them into a, a classroom, but actually getting hands-on experience 
um, and, and sharing that, uh, I think we call it technical brief or you know, technical information exchange more than uh, going above and beyond just a training session. We talked about preventive maintenance and Kevin gave a, a bunch of ideas here um, of things that, that folks should be doing. And he, he left with a really critical one at the end, which was to make it somebody's responsibility to be looking after these systems. So it should be you know, one person that's identified that, that he or she is the, the one that um, is the go-to person for understanding these systems. Track it over time. That was a great idea as well. So you can see how are you trending? When are you going to you know, need to replace your bags because you're getting out of operational specs um, and comparing back to what is your baseline? And then closing off, we, we talked about these changing and replacing parts. Make sure that they're designed correctly. Do you have a sticky material? Do you have process gases that are you know, difficult to work with? Do you have a really abrasive materials? Do you have increased temperature loadings? These are all important considerations to go into things like choosing the bag that you need in your dust collection system. And then a couple other last tips on things like the luge systems, make sure they're not leaking. Checking that your your filter has dry air in the inside the actual dust collector, so that you're not uh, caking your filters with moisture, and you know a lot of other great tips like that. So that's it for this episode. I want to say thank you as always for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. If you want to connect with Kevin, we'll have a way to do that. At the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com/slash seventy nine. We'll also try to grab that uh, checklist that he mentioned and include that as a download there. And uh, I just want to say as always, have a productive week ahead, and I appreciate everything you're doing and industries handling combustible dust around the world. Thank you.